Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 132. Today's topic is Green New Economics. We'll be talking about Green New Economics in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So we've got a serious situation to deal with, not only climate change, but also four other separate and distinct threats to our very existence. But on the issue of climate change in particular, we have been putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere for about 250 years. And about half of the greenhouse gases we've put into the atmosphere have been in the last 30 years. Also, coincidentally, 30 years ago is when we learned about climate change as an issue. At least, we learned about it publicly. Scientists had suspected it for a long time. Even the oil company scientists knew about it in the early 70s. And just like the tobacco company scientists, they covered up the information that they had and even tried to mislead the public for decades and continue to mislead the public as to the hazards, risks, and dangers of a phenomenon that they themselves have created. But this information became public in 1988 when NASA scientist James Hansen told Congress that human activities are causing what was called a greenhouse effect. In other words, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases were being put into the atmosphere by human activities, such as the burning of gasoline, the burning of diesel fuel, kerosene, coal, for activities that involve transportation and the generation of electricity. So, 30 years ago, in 1988, going on 31 years ago, we were officially on notice that we had a problem. But rationality and cool-headedness don't always prevail, and we not only did not heed the call to start to reduce greenhouse gases, but we have been increasing the use of greenhouse gases ever since. And this is because our society is not controlled by the people, not controlled by a majority of the people. In substance, we don't have a democracy. In substance, it's more of a plutocracy, that is, the rule of money. So the people who have the most money are those who are in charge. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation because most people want action on climate change. Most people are concerned primarily with health and safety, and not primarily with amassing more wealth than any person could ever spend or use. Specifically, the amount of carbon dioxide has increased from 280 parts per million to over 400 parts per million now, and as a result, the global average temperatures have increased by about 1 degree Celsius, or about 2 degrees Fahrenheit. So the Earth is like your body in a way. Your body is designed for a certain temperature, and if your temperature goes above that, then you have a fever. Even a low-grade fever can be a significant health issue, 
and if you're you have a fever of three or four degrees above normal then you have to seriously slow down and get well otherwise you risk hurting yourself so the earth has a fever and the catastrophic change is not in the distant future or even the near future the catastrophic change has already occurred there's already catastrophic change to the oceans there's already catastrophic change to the glaciers and snow caps there's a catastrophic change that is impacting ecosystems all around the world so the question is not whether we will experience catastrophic change but whether that catastrophic change will get exponentially worse that's the situation we find ourselves in and that is only one of the five separate and distinct threats to our very existence any one of which could do serious damage or wipe us out entirely now I don't enjoy telling you this I would rather not be having this conversation but the government is not doing its job and the mainstream media is not doing its job and the business world especially big business has violated every covenant and every promise every implied promise they have ever made they have run afoul of every thing we might reasonably expect of them so government has an implied promise to lead in a way that is beneficial to the vast majority of people and it has broken that promise the media has an implied promise to tell the truth and they are systematically misleading us primarily by underreporting and by lies of omission and the business world so here's what the implied promise of the business world is the implied promise of the business world is live and let live baby we live in a it's a free country you can do whatever you want we won't bother you and you don't bother us in other words they're just doing their thing they're not hurting anybody so just chill out don't get excited man meanwhile they are hurting us they're polluting they're putting our entire species at, at risk and I'm talking primarily about big business these big corporate enterprises many of which are larger than all but a few countries in the world in terms of their total revenues so the implied promise of business is to be a good neighbor they'll try to sell to you but you don't have to buy their product it's a free country it's just live and let live but they also try to sell us on shifting public policy their way the implied message is that if you make rich people happy then they'll maybe share a few crumbs with you we're told that business is the engine of growth and we're asked to buy into an economic philosophy that frowns upon regulation and frowns upon government bureaucracy and seeks to sell off public assets in a process called privatization but none of that is working and that's why we're having this conversation and that's what the climate report is all about this program is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming the views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station 
If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, to get access to other episodes and playlists and my blog, go to theclimatereport.net. So today's topic is Green New Economics. It's a play on words. It means what is the economics that will flow from the Green New Deal. And we'll be reading from the Green Party platform. And somebody might say, Hart, you're trying to indoctrinate us into the Green Party. You're trying to recruit everybody into the Green Party. Where's your objectivity? But I'm not, I am a member of the Green Party. I'm not trying to recruit anybody into the Green Party. But they have a good body of literature, namely the Green New Deal, which is about 15 pages, and the Green Party platform, which is about 75 pages. Now, on this show, I have done a few episodes when I'm reading through some high points of the Democratic Party platform, some episodes when I read through the Republican Party platform, But I'm bringing the Green Party platform to bear because the Green New Deal is a whole big conversation in our political culture today. Anybody who follows politics at all has heard the term Green New Deal. But what is the Green New Deal? Well, it's not just one thing. It's not just one law. It's not a law yet. It is a proposal, but it's more like a family of proposals. And there is no one authority on what the Green New Deal is. But for those who are seriously progressive and serious about a Green New Deal, there is broad agreement that if our political system and our economic system is going to solve our problems, then it needs to include not only environmental justice, but also economic justice and social justice. So any version of a Green New Deal worth its salt is going to include Medicare for all, $15 an hour minimum wage, possibly a jobs guarantee, possibly universal basic income, and it's also going to have a great deal of democracy. You know, one thing we have never really seen in this country is democracy. Maybe that's putting it a little strongly, but certainly in recent years, our democracy has been eroded by the influence of money to the point where it's safe to say that what we have now in substance is a plutocracy, which is the rule of money. We have democracy only in form, not in substance. In many respects, there is not a meaningful distinction between the Democrat, or, and the Republican that you get to vote on. So any version of the Green New Deal, whether it's the Democrats' version, sponsored in Congress by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or whether it's the Green Party version, or whether it's the Justice Democrats' version, or whether it's the version you'll find on a website called Data for Progress, all of these versions are going to have provisions for real, genuine, grassroots democracy. And by democracy, I'm talking about something that is decentralized, and I'm talking about something that is relatively free from the influence of money. The democracy that we have now is very much under the influence of money, and it's also very centralized. 
there is not very much community-based democracy. And also, not very much of our democracy is where we are allowed to vote on economic issues. The business community, mainly big business, has succeeded in removing economic issues from the agenda. So, if we had labor unions, that would be an example of democracy that has an impact on economics. Or if we were able to say no to businesses that want to come into our community and pollute, then that would be an example of democracy that is meaningful in terms of the fact that we can vote on economic issues and also meaningful in that we can vote on local issues. As it is now, we have very little control over our economics. That's why this episode is called Green New Economics, and we'll be looking at Section 4 of the Green Party platform called Economic Justice and Sustainability. So let's start reading. Economic Justice and Sustainability. Green economics, meaning Green Party economics, green economics is rooted in ecological economics. Our economy should serve us and our planet. Our economy should reflect and respect the diverse, delicate ecosystems of our planet. Needless to say, our economy, such as it is, does not respect the ecosystems of our planet. That's why we have to have a big, large, huge, gigantic conversation about climate. That's why we have to talk about the petrochemical hub that they want to put in upriver from Louisville, Kentucky. That's why we have to talk about the loss of biodiversity and especially how our agribusiness food system has a big, huge impact on biodiversity by killing off pollinators, killing off insects, killing off birds. And some of the biggest agribusiness companies like Monsanto are at war with biodiversity on the planet, whether through ill intent or arrogance and ignorance, but it's one or the other because you can't destroy biodiversity on our planet and expect us to survive, yet that's exactly what Monsanto and the other agribusiness giants are doing. So that is not an economy that respects the delicate ecosystems of our planet. Continuing to read, Our current economic system is gravely flawed. It is unjust and unsustainable because it is premised on on endless economic growth and destruction of nature. So let's stop there. How is our economic system premised on the destruction of nature? Well, if you think about mining, you're taking natural resources and turning it into money, even though there's ecological devastation in the process. If you think about oil drilling, ecological devastation, where you take natural resources and turn them into money. Coal mining, fracking, You're taking natural resources, turning them into money with ecological devastation in the process. Plus, the people who live around the mining sites and the people who live around the drilling and the fracking don't get to share in any of the wealth that is created. 
That's why any Green New Deal worth its salt addresses not only economic justice, not only environmental justice, but also economic justice. Continuing to read, Our market economy, by externalizing the environmental and social costs of greenhouse gas emissions, is creating the greatest market failure in history, climate change and its devastating effects. So let's unpack that paragraph. It's talking about our market economy. And people throw around the term market this, market that, the free market this, the free market that. And if pressed, they would have a hard time defining what a free market is. We certainly don't have a physical marketplace that we go to when we buy and sell things. So the free market at the end of the day simply means the absence of government regulation. And it carries with it the myth that government that we're going to presu- presume that government regulation is bad. That we want to have a strong presumption against government regulation. But that presumption presupposes that business is a good neighbor. But let's assume for the sake of discussion that 9 out of 10 business people want to be good neighbors. You always have that 1 out of 10 that is going to pollute, that is going to abuse people, that is going to pay people as little as possible, that is going to take public resources without paying for them. And that one person in 10, or that one business in 10, sets the tone for everybody else. In other words, if you want to remain competitive in that market, you have to cut corners. You have to pollute. You have to take public resources without paying for them. That is the nature of an unregulated market economy. If we want a thriving marketplace, we need a fair and equitable marketplace. The government is necessary to preserve competition. When government is not involved, then that allows the bad actors to grow endlessly. And they grow because they are the very ones who are stealing public resources and thereby profiting. That is the nature of an unregulated market. That is the nature of a market that is truly free. In a market that is truly free, everything is for sale. But that's not the world we want to live in, is it? So when it says our market economy by externalizing the environmental and social cost, what externalizing means is that the business shifts its costs on to the public. Let's take agribusiness, for example. Agribusiness means instead of small farmers, we're going to have the land owned by these huge corporations. We're going to create a situation in which small farmers cannot compete. And we're going to buy up all the land. We're going to plant endless square miles of corn and soybeans, almost with no fence rows, no hedgerows. And we're going to use lots of pesticides And we're going to till up the ground every year and use lots of fertilizers which kill the soil. And if you just happen to be a monarch butterfly that used to live there, well, sucks to be you. If you happen to be a resident who used to get their water 
from the well, but now the well is polluted and you can't drink the water, well, sucks to be you. That's what's called externalizing costs. So this business is trying to make a profit, but it's a profit at other people's expense. It's the profit at the expense of the nearby residents. It's a profit at the expense of people who happen to live downstream from your polluted water. And it's at the expense of ecosystems. It's at the expense of birds, butterflies, and bees that used to live there. Birds, butterflies, and bees are not just niceties. They are absolutely necessary for human life on earth. So they are public assets. If anybody owns them, it's the public and not the private landowner or the private business. So that's the externalizing of costs. That's why we cannot have a completely unregulated marketplace. But since businesses always want to buy the loyalty of state, federal, and local officials, you need to limit the size of businesses. Because when businesses get too big, they cannot be regulated. When businesses get too big, they get big enough to buy your elected officials, and they get big enough to buy the regulators who are supposed to be regulating them. All you have to do to buy a regulator is to say you can have a nice job when you're done with, the, with your government work. And you don't even have to say that because everybody knows that's how the system works. That's how the game is played. But what we have now is a, a winner-take-all form of capitalism. It's where big fish can always swallow the little fish. It's where the big fish can buy the competition. The big business can buy the little business, can buy out the little business, or outcompete the little business, so that all that's left is the big businesses. And those are the ones that are bad for the economy, bad for the environment, bad for the consumer. That's why all this talk about a free market is horse hockey. That's why this sentence says, What we've got now is creating the greatest market failure in history, climate change and its devastating effects. A market failure is economics language for the market is not working in this particular instance. Some people would say the market never works anyway. I would say that markets can work, but they have to be heavily regulated Uh, At least in the sense that you have to limit the size of the big players and you have to set down rules about what they can and cannot do. We should be getting most of our food now from small farms, but we have just the opposite. We have an environment in which it's very difficult for small farms to exist because they have to compete in a winner-take-all capitalist system. Continuing to read, our government's top economic goal, increasing gross domestic product, impels us to perpetually intensify our resource use use and environmental destruction. 
That is certainly true. So here is our old friend gross domestic product or GDP. Now, in business they say, or in, in management theory they say, what gets measured gets managed. What gets measured gets managed. So whatever number you are measuring, that's the number you are going to pay attention to and that's the number that if you know you're supposed to increase that number, then you're going to naturally work to increase that number. So what we've been told, and this is a totally self-serving theory, or, but what we've been told is that you know we should want economic growth. We should want to increase gross domestic product. Now, gross domestic product means all the money that has changed hands, all the sales, all the income, take it all, add it all up, and that's your gross domestic product. So if the point is to make gross domestic product go up, well, here's how to make gross domestic product go up. Start a war. You're going to do a lot of damage, but hey, it makes GDP go up. Or have a lot of wasteful industries. Have a wasteful auto industry, a wasteful fossil fuel industry, a wasteful and destructive airline manufacturing industry, a wasteful and destructive airline industry, a wasteful and destructive hotel industry, a wasteful and destructive bottled beverage industry, a wasteful and destructive big business like Walmart or Home Depot. That's how to make domestic gross domestic product go up. Here's how else you make gross domestic product go up. Make sure rich people make a lot of money. Hey, it's gross domestic product. It's economic growth. And what people are trained to believe is that that means jobs, that means a healthy economy, the wealth that the wealthy are experiencing is going to trickle down. And who knows the difference if nobody is talking about anything but gross domestic product. Gross domestic product and unemployment. We don't talk much about inflation because inflation has not been an issue since the early 80s. But unemployment and gross domestic product, it's like if you have low unemployment and high gross domestic product, and all the politicians, especially the president, are patting themselves on the back saying, look what a great economy we've made for you all. But, as mentioned before, it's wasteful and destructive to do things that way. So what the Green Party platform is saying here is let's not base our economy on growth. Continuing to read, Green economic policy places value not just on material wealth, but on the things which truly make life worth living. Our health, our relationships, our communities, our environment, and building peace and justice throughout our nation and the world. Amen to that. So it's talking about quality of life. It's talking about what makes life worth living. What are the things that we enjoy? What are the things that are rewarding? Our health, our relationships, our communities, our environment, and building peace and justice throughout our nation and the world. Are we building peace and justice throughout our nation and the world? Certainly not. We are, we are involved in endless wars. That is not building peace or justice throughout the world. We are causing climate change. That is not building peace and justice throughout the world. 
So the Green Party platform is saying that there is a better way than basing our entire economic outlook on GDP. We need to measure the things that make us healthy and happy. And we need to measure the things that make our society and our world peaceful and just. We have an opportunity to create a whole new world. And we need to create a whole new world because we're facing five separate and distinct threats to our very existence. One of the main things we need to do is to shift from an ethic of consume, 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 which only benefits the very rich, to an ethic of quality of life. The great thing is we get to choose that quality of life democratically under the Green New Deal.